Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Phil Drysdale Show. And I am excited for this episode this week. We are back in the swing of things with one episode a week. I know it's not the usual two hour, uh, two episodes a week, and this week is a bit shorter than usual. Um, I'm still not feeling 100% well. Um, for you, those of you that don't know, I have not been very well recently. I don't have any more answers. I don't know what's going on. Um, but I have been feeling a little better this week, which is great. And so I'm starting to put out one a week again. Um, and so hopefully you'll, you'll see this routine. Every Thursday, I'm going to be putting out one episode um, to the best of my ability. And hopefully we'll get back to the place where we put out one every Monday and every Thursday. Um, but for now, we've got another great episode. And so I'm excited about that. We have the amazing Brian Peck returning. And Brian is the co-founder of the Religious Trauma Institute. We had a great conversation at the end of last year about religious trauma. I'd really recommend, if you haven't listened to that, to stop this episode and go back and listen to that first. It was brilliant. We talk about Brian's story. We go into great depth about religious trauma and, and what religious trauma is and all kinds of uh different um, uh, conversations that can spring out of that came up and, and it was a really great conversation. Um, in this episode, we're going to go through a whole bunch of different questions that were submitted um, to both Brian and I on Instagram, and we're going to try and cover a whole host of different topics. And so I really do think you'll enjoy this conversation. But like I said, if you haven't listened to the prior episodes, um, I do recommend you go back and check that out. I think it's either 90, I think it's 93, it could be episode 92. Um, but one of those you'll find Brian. And um, yeah, I think it's a, a great episode, this one. Um, before we get started, I want to encourage you, check out the deconstructionnetwork.com if you haven't already. It's completely free and it's a free resource that is geared around helping people connect with other people that are deconstructing in their local area. It's such a lonely and isolating journey. Um, for so many people, we lose friends, family, our churches, our, our communities. So often these things fall apart as we deconstruct and it can feel so lonely. And so the Deconstruction Network is just a simple free tool that helps you um, register in your local area and, and see if there are other people there that you can message and connect with and hopefully start to build some new friends and, uh, and, and community. Um, of course, you know, the, the world is our oyster with finding new friends and, and, and community um, after we leave church, but it can mean so much to have people that know where you're at. And, and know what you're going through. That, that's such a, a beautiful and powerful bond. And, and so I do encourage you to check that out if that's something you, you miss, if you feel that you need. Um, it's a great resource there. There's about 3,000 people on the website now and all throughout the world. Um, people in Africa, Australia, Asia, um, all throughout the Americas. There's tons of people throughout Europe. It, it really is becoming um, very uh, global, very filled up globally as well, which is exciting. Um, and also, I just want to plug everything I do here is free. The podcast, the resources, talking to people for hours on, uh, hours on end each day, helping them on their deconstruction journey. I do that all for free. And the reason I can do that is because of people that are supporting me through my Patreon program. You can do that at patreon.com slash phildrysdale or phildrysdale.com slash partner. Um, and for as little as five bucks a month, um, you can help me keep a roof over my head as I do all this for free. I, I really believe in doing what I'm doing for free. So many of us have been hurt and, and taken advantage of by the church and by religious leaders and spiritual leaders. And we have been uh, bled dry financially, a lot of us. And so I don't want to ever um, create any financial boundary to helping people on their deconstruction journey. 
but it does cost money to do what I do to keep all the different resources out there, to be producing the resources, to um, run the different sites that I'm running, to, to conduct the research I'm doing. Um, and so your support means a great deal if that's something that you're able to do. Of course, I do this all for free. It always will be for free. So I don't want anyone who's not in a place to give to feel they are obliged to or anything like that. There's never any obligation. As a thank you though, you do get access to a private discussion group. We we just actually crossed over to our 20,000th message on there. And so we have great conversations in there. Um, it can get really lively. It can be really fascinating. We talk about all kinds of different things. Um, and so it would be amazing to see you on there. That's something that uh, I create just to thank people um, for their support. And we have a monthly Zoom call as well. And so if you are able to support what I'm doing and if you would like to be a part of a more intimate, um, close-knit community online than something like Facebook or, um, or Instagram can create, that's a great way for you to do that. Again, you can do that at patreon.com slash phildrysdale or phildrysdale.com slash partner. All right. That's enough rambling for me. Let's dive into the conversation with Brian Peck. Hey, hey. Hey, how's it going? It's going good. How are you? I'm doing well. It's kind of early in the morning here for me, which is great. Yeah. Got the kids off to school and yeah. Excellent. So I think last time we spoke, it was evening for me, which now you get the, the early morning version of Brian. <laughs> yeah. Are you a morning person? You know, I, I tend to be... Um, yeah, I, I I wouldn't say that I fully embrace um, being a morning person, but um, I, I certainly <laughs> enjoy the morning. So yeah, awesome. I most people that have kids tend not to be a have a choice really at this point. Yeah, eh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think having kids too, you have the um, you know the the time in the evening is is really precious. <laughs> Once yeah. the kids are in bed, you're like, okay, now now I have some you know time to focus and, and work on things. So yeah, that's yeah. certainly uh, you, if you, you can find stay awake. staying up later than you want to, <laughs> at least in my case. So yeah. Yeah. Well that's my 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 woes is I stay up too late and then I uh, have to wake yeah. up so late. So uh but yeah working with Americans. Yeah. I think yeah last time we talked I probably stayed up to like two or three in the morning chatting with you. Oh yeah sure. <laughs> yeah. But that's my default. So it's really nice when um when the time zones allow and people's schedules i guess you have a bit mm -hmm. more flexibility um yeah. with how you you do your hours and stuff but a lot of people are working nine to five and they live on the west coast of the states that's eight hour difference and it's like could you start at 1 a.m phil and i'm like i guess so yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. this is always nice having a three three in the afternoon conversation yeah is, for sure ah, perfect yeah it works great <laughs> for me too I, I certainly after a day of working with clients um you know, my mental capacity is somewhat diminished in emotional yeah. capacity. So, yeah, for sure. I, I hear you. I hear you. So I, I wanted just to check in with you briefly. Um, I, and I don't know if this is the first podcast that you're doing since you took a little bit of a break. Or, okay. Second. second one. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I guess I didn't hear all the information about what was going on with your health. And so I just wanted to check in. There is there's how you're doing. a lot of information and none of it is particularly... Um, bring in as much closer to a diagnosis of what mm. actually happened or what was going on. Okay. So, I mean, I, I, I'm intrigued. I, I actually have, I have some ponderings as to whether actually some of it might be quite trauma uh, based mm, actually. Sure. Um, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, not to hijack the podcast and turn it into a therapeutic session or anything. Oh, yeah, but no, I, no. <laughs> I, 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 I just am really intrigued because I listened to a podcast recently with uh, Pete Holmes' podcast. I don't know if you're familiar with it. His mm, uh, yeah, wife, sure. Val Cheney, mm -hmm. she was mentioning a couple of years ago, she had loads of chest issues and they were doing yeah. scans on her heart and her lungs. And they were really like, what's going on? And they couldn't find anything. Yeah. And she 
ended up finding out that it was actually very trauma based sure. and there was a whole bunch yeah. of stuff from her childhood and she's been working mm-hmm. through that and that was um that was that and it just got me thinking i was like man i have gone through a lot of scans mm-hmm. and tests and they're going yeah. you're in pretty great shape maybe your yeah. cholesterol's a bit high yeah. or this or you know but mm-hmm. like there's nothing that would be causing this yeah. constant sure. um so yeah so but i mean i don't know i mean yeah. I, it, it, and this could be something we talk about maybe but like it fascinates me with trauma like trauma seems to be one of those things that suddenly people go holy crap i've got trauma mm-hmm. um yeah. and we tend to kind of like repress that on some level be mm-hmm. unaware of it right. you know it sneaks up on us a lot of the time um and so yeah so i've just been wondering gosh have i got some stuff because it happened while i was taking actually two weeks off which i never do over mm-hmm. christmas that's when yeah. it kind of rose up and i was like oh i've kind of stopped and taking some time off my body's going hey now's maybe a good time to start mm-hmm. screaming um yeah, sure. I-, I don't know you know <laughs> Um, yeah. so it's intriguing so maybe that that's kind of what i'm thinking but I, I have actually been about the last week or so i've been i've been seeing the um symptoms lessen in their persistency and their mm-hmm. um yeah. intensity yeah. um and so that's been good and i could maybe tie that to some practices but the whole yeah. time i've been trying to be really good with meditation with sure. doing all kinds of different practices yeah. um uh, so yeah, it, it wasn't stress related. They they kind of tested that to the nth degree okay. and said it's definitely not yeah. like stress. And so mm. what 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 happened, Brian? I don't know what is yeah, happening. Sure. I don't know. But uh, I'm I'm working with attention of like they still got more tests to do. They're yeah. taking off a lot of things that make me feel mm. better because I'm I'm apparently right. a lot healthier than I thought I was. I actually yeah. assumed half of this stuff would be bad anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. So yeah, it's, it's a bit of a weird one. But I'm trying to take it a bit easier. And I've gone down to one podcast mm. a week, um, mm. and we'll just see where we go. And I'm doing things yeah. like Q and A's as well, so I'm gonna let you do all the talking today, and I'm just okay, gonna sit yeah. and watch, you know. So. <laughs> yeah, that works. Um, um, but yeah, yeah. Interestingly enough, um, over the holidays, um, actually Christmas Day, um, I I had been having some some heart kind of, you know, um, elevated heart rates. Um, at at resting, resting heart rate was was spiking occasionally. Thought maybe AFib or something. And on Christmas Day, um, I had a, a similar experience of like wow. this. I'm not okay. You know, something's wow. going on here, and um, got a heart monitor for, you know, a, a few days to just double check and see how things were going. And, um, in, in the same, same cases as yours, you know, most of my numbers look good. Things seem okay. Um, when it comes to trauma and how that impacts our bodies, you know, um, based on the, you know, adverse childhood experiences, research, and just what we're learning about trauma, um, it can show up in, in so many different ways mm. physically, um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you, um, kind of middle-aged, um, you know, human trying to sort out, you know, what's going on with my body and, and it, we, we can't always point to something specific, um, yeah. which makes it frustrating. Um, you know, chronic pain, irritable bowel, like there's so many things that, um, it, it's hard to point to the specific cause of that. Mm. Um, but looking at it through the lens of the nervous system and the demands that's been placed on our, on our system over time. Um, we we're recognizing more and more that it's having an impact yeah. um, and then how to treat that, you know, it's again, you know, doing lots of different practices, uh, trying to find what works for your body, uh, tuning into it a bit more. And um, yeah, so I, I'm certainly on, on a similar journey with you as well. Um, and and I, I suspect folks who are listening to this podcast are, are also, um, mm. you know, may have experiences uh, like what we're describing where, there's nothing, you know, kind of obvious cause, but, but there's something that's not okay. The body's kind of, you know, out yeah. of balance. Yeah. yeah. And like, gosh, if there's ever a time where like, I mean, a lot of us are slower 
right now mm-hmm. we've had to like stay yeah. at home we're not traveling as much we're not working as much yeah. so as i've got to quit or have lost jobs and there's lots of things yeah. and then all of that can be stressful the pandemic yeah. is stressful and then everyone's got their different religious or spiritual journeys mm-hmm. as well which is of course a whole host of different stuff yeah like it does feel like we're in a bit of a, a whirlwind for this stuff to kind of yeah, arise sure. if it's going to yeah. arise um but yeah I, I want to share just a little bit about that context um <clears throat> early on during the pandemic you know there was this meme that kind of um was just everywhere um it, kind of comparing the pandemic to you know what, what your you know ancestors did um you know during the war or something like world mm. war ii like you know i think the meme said something to the effect of you know, your, your ancestors were asked to go to war and, and you know, fight for their country. And, and, and you're just being asked to sit on your couch and watch Netflix and, and, and not go out in public. Um, as if um, that was just right. like, the simple, easy thing to do. Yeah. And in looking at it through the lens of, of trauma, um, you know, I, I actually responded to that meme with, with, you know, a version of my own that, you know, your, your, your um, ancestors or your relatives were asked to you know, engage in a fight or flight response and to be actively engaged in, um, in, in a collective, um, you know, we're in this together kind of experience. And you're being asked to kind of exist in a freeze collapse response uh, yeah. to feel powerless. And, and I've, you know, I'm um, working with folks who, you know, who are frontline workers, um, as well as folks who are, you know, holed up in their house. And um, it's really interesting to see um, different forms of stress as a result of that different, you know, right. um, responses to that event. And, and in some ways, that feeling powerless or trapped or stuck um, is more difficult for a nervous system or equally difficult, <clears throat> or difficult in a different way. And so I think it's just, it's just so helpful for us to think about um, life through this, this trauma lens. Because what seems on on the face of it, like, oh, it would be simple to stay home and watch Netflix. Mm. Um, when you feel like I'm not able to move as freely in the world, when it feels like there's a threat that's outside and, and it's just kind of ever present and, and there's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing to push against right. or to, to fight against. And, and obviously, you know, doing the, the, the um, physical distancing and, you know, taking those kinds of steps are really important. And we can feel a bit engaged in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that translates to our nervous system in the same way that right. there's a threat directly in front of me and I'm going to like physically do something to right. escape to safety or defend myself. And, uh, and that, that certainly is um, a difficult you know, experience for a nervous system. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if you think about like a lot of um, my understanding of, of all kinds of trauma and adverse kind of experiences is you have these cycles that need to be closed off, generally yes. speaking. And so you yes. have this huge... yes blast of endorphins and hormones and everything and then you you know someone breaks into your house but then you hit them over the head with the frying pan and the police come and arrest them and take them away and there's kind of like it's oh okay it's all sorted it's concluded i'm safe and you your body tells you you're safe and there's a well done for telling me i was unsafe and you know all these things kind of come but there is a thing of like constantly watching the news 24 7 being told you're not safe you're not safe you're not safe and going okay so what can i do nothing really like yeah stay at home yeah don't go shopping more than you need to don't go hang out with your friend okay so i can do these things but i'm not seeing i'm not getting that i see the guy lying on the floor unconscious and the police taking him away i'm not seeing the the tangible um conclusion that would start sending safety signals to kind of counteract those danger signals or or close the loop in a sense 
Uh, that, that's it's, terrifying it, to live in that really constant. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I, I think um, at the heart of trauma is this, there's an unresolved quality to it. And I just, you know, um, to underline what you just shared, you know, when you see, when you move into um, a survival response, whether it's a fight or flight response or even a freeze collapse response, um, that's, that's meant to be a temporary experience. Mm. And then our body has the experience of, of moving through that of, of I, if I went to a freeze collapse response and I, I move into an activated fight or flight response and I feel the power of, of kind of like doing what needs to be done, saying what needs to be said, resolving that, and then moving into a more kind of safe and social and connected um, physiology. And so when we aren't given the opportunity to kind of resolve that and, um, you know, and, and resolving that doesn't have to be, you know, directly confronting, you know, the real or perceived threat, but somehow giving your, your nervous system approximating a, um, a, a resolution of that or completion of that, mm-hmm. um, it's just so important because otherwise that, that hangs um, out in our nervous system as I'm, I'm still not okay. I'm, I'm still powerless. Um, I'm still hypervigilant. I'm still on edge. I'm still like not, not safe. And so I think, um, you know, as you're describing this, being bombarded with all this this information um, and in these these messages that that are that are not just you know things our, our mind is processing but are impacting how we physically feel in the world um, without some ability to to move through that um, we, we we just kind of begin to get stuck there um, yeah and I I think you know I know our conversation today is is about religious trauma um, which I, I see very much through the lens of of trauma um, not you know, I think sometimes we talk about religious trauma as, you know, maybe connected to deconstruction or leaving one's religion. Um, and that certainly can be a traumatizing event uh, for, for many folks. Um, but we're not talking just about, you know, anxiety or depression or maybe an adjustment disorder or um, maybe, you know, complex grief or loss around <clears throat> some of those experiences. But, you know, looking at it through the lens of, of, of trauma and the nervous system, um, yeah, it's 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 harder to to kind of pinpoint what was traumatizing about that, and I think some of the, the questions sure. that your um, viewers had you know submitted um, were asking about that. You know, how do we yeah. know it's religious trauma? What is what does this look like? You know, it wasn't so bad in my church, but it it, does, it didn't feel safe and okay. And right, and, and to be able to identify that um, as trauma can be really difficult because there is, mm-hmm. there was no intruder. There was no, you know, obvious physical thing that, that I experienced. Um, and, and I think obvious is, is the, the, the key word here. Um, your body was experiencing the various, you know, incomplete survival responses. Yeah. Um, but you know, you, you maybe weren't aware of that. Didn't have the, the, the concept of, of what that was like, weren't paying attention to your body to notice what that was like. Um, and so, so you're, you're left kind of, um, you know, asking a fish, you know, what is water, you know, and, and you know, like, like, what does it feel like? What is the experience of water in, in the fish response? You know, well, you know, what is water? Like, I have no, this was, this is just what it's like to be a right. fish. This is just what it's like to have gone to the kind of church that I, that I attended. This, this was just what it was like to live in my, my family. Mm. And um, yeah, it, it's, it does make it more difficult to, yeah. to kind of identify that to, feel like that's you know something that, that I actually experienced yeah there's there's a component in me and this might be really ignorant because <laughs> I don't know a lot um, but 
part of me has noticed as and and people that are deconstructing are obviously generally speaking they're looking back at their tradition their faith and go, mm-hmm. asking questions and evaluating it and questioning it. um and it does feel like um in a sense trauma is um a big buzzword right now mm-hmm. and i know that you yourself have said that often we use the word trauma when probably we should be using things like maybe more adverse kind of um mm-hmm. uh I can't remember what you said, actually. What, what word you used? It was yeah, adverse... so, so we talk about, um, you know, um, adverse childhood experiences. Is yeah. There's a lot of research around that. But then then we've introduced the the concept of adverse religious ex- experiences right. um, to, to kind of capture the, these events that may not that may not result to trauma but are are, are creating conditions where trauma is more likely yeah. if we think about trauma as this um, this mismatch between our internal and external resources um, that, that that we're that we have access to and the demand placed on our system and so we could have you know high demand and high you know resources and that may not result in trauma we could have you know moderate or low demand placed in our system but but very little or no resources and yeah. and that can result in, in trauma and so um yeah i, I think yeah. you know n- noticing that um you know trauma is difficult to define for that very reason right. um and, and we started out you know defining trauma as existing in the event you know if you experience an event mm. that had these characteristics these qualities were, were were you know sustained over this amount of time then 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 we can say well then that was traumatic but then we realized well some folks experienced those same events and it wasn't traumatizing right. so yeah. like what's up you know what, what is where does the trauma exist and we think about trauma as existing in that in that physiological response um, right. to the event and in, in, in such a way that has this you know kind of post um, traumatic stress that this mm-hmm. ongoing impact then um, then we have to be interested and concerned with um, you know who is this nervous system experiencing the event you know what what's yeah. the context surrounding that um, and, and and that just gives us a lot more understanding of you know what are the the component factors that that lead to trauma and you know i'm, I'm super interested in in studying that a bit more and um you know learning about you know what what about various doctrines what about various religious structures beliefs practices that that, that tend to result in trauma mm. um and, and and again i think it's, it's important to to point out that these are are, are conditions that that can lead to to trauma um yeah. because a, a lot of you know, believers, um, you know, folks who are, are committed to defending their, their religious um, faith and beliefs will say, well, it wasn't traumatizing to me. And, yep. and, and that can be completely true. You know, the, the same event experienced by a group of people will, will have very different responses. Uh, they'll have very right. different responses to that based upon the factors we just talked about. Yeah. No, I, I this is huge to me because it is a deeply um, subjective Mm-hmm. Um, reality like you're saying someone can believe in hell and that gives them peace and that gives them safety yeah. and that gives them comfort and security mm-hmm. um, and then someone else can be taught the same sort of thing and they can live in terror for decades yeah. Um, yeah. and and it is it's intriguing to me because I do see a tendency right now with a lot of people just saying well that teaching is uh, is traumatic if you were taught that mm-hmm. you'd be traumatized yes. and, and yes. I don't know if we're maybe on some level actually minimizing the trauma of some people mm-hmm. um but also we're maybe setting ourselves up for a bit of failure trying to um 
I don't know, trying to almost traumatize ourselves by going, yeah. oh, I was taught that. Like, where's the trauma? How can I root yeah. out some, some, how did that psychologically damage mm-hmm. me? Where maybe some of the things just didn't, didn't hit you in that way. Yeah, you were in this, sure. the right place at the right time mm-hmm. with the yeah. right framework that that didn't yeah. impact you in a certain way. Um, I, I'm just intrigued by that concept. And do you think that there needs to be maybe, what do you think about the current like focus on trauma in this kind of space? I know you're mm. kind of familiar with this space. Yeah, it's not sure. your speciality and only focus, but you're mm. very familiar with a lot of people yeah. in this in this space. I mean, loads of people are doing podcasts on like, you know, the most traumatic teachings and this mm. and that. Sure. Do, do you think that's helpful? Not helpful? A bit of both? Like Yeah. So so I guess the way I would conceptualize that is um I think it's it's always helpful to to have a deeper understanding of um you know, spiritual abuse, religious abuse. Um, you know, when, when I think about some of these these, these doctrines that that tend to be, um, you know, demanding on a person's nervous system, um, not universally demanding, not for everyone, but 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 they tend to have this impact. You know, they're, they're limiting a person's choice. They're limiting a person's internal sense of power and control. Um, we just we just know that that mm-hmm. that has a high potential of 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 creating conditions where, where trauma can be experienced. And so, you know, I, I think pointing out, you know, here's these toxic doctrines or beliefs or ideas or practices. Um, I, I think there, there's value in that. However, pinning the trauma onto that experience itself, I think does a disservice um, to, to, to our understanding of trauma and, and to survivors, because what you can have is, is folks like you just mentioned, you know, I, I grew up in the same church. I heard these same teachings about hell and, you know, should I be traumatized? <clears throat> and so there's that kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, like people are saying this was traumatizing and, and, and to not kind of look at that through the lens of the individual nervous system. We, we begin to make these kind of, you know, broad generalizations that, that, that I think, are helpful from an advocacy and an awareness perspective. Let's talk about, you know, mm. the cost benefit analysis of the doctrine of hell, right? Um, like, okay, it, it helps groups stay together. It keeps people in line. You know, shame is a powerful motivator, you know, to, to, to keep groups um, together. And, and we can see maybe some adaptive evolutionary function uh, from a group dynamic um, standpoint. And, and, but we also want to recognize that, yeah, that can be harmful to individuals. And so, to look at that through through that lens, um, I think is helpful in raising awareness. Um, however, if we're not adding the component of um, here's why one person's nervous system may experience that as trauma and another may not, what are the the protective factors that that can contribute to a person not experiencing that as trauma? Um, you, you'll see this a lot in you know um, you know American evangelicalism, where you know being a, a white you know cishet male, you you have just massive amounts of of, of power. And, um, you know, there's their protective factors, as it were, um, that, that, that come at, at a cost to other individuals who mm. don't have access to those. And, and so the folks who are in leadership, the folks who, you know, um, you know may not be experiencing um, religious trauma at the same rate or at the same to the same degree as, as folks who, who don't have access to as much, um, you know, internal resources, external resources. And I, I think it's just really important to, to point that out because then, you know, you, you mentioned that, you know, trauma is, is subjective. Um, and, and, and that's certainly true. 
I think what happens though, especially with folks from a, a fundamentalist background, um, there is no subjective. Right. <laughs> it's all no. objective. It, it's true or it's or it's false. And if you say, I didn't experience this as trauma, therefore no one else should experience this as trauma. Yeah. Um, you're, 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 you're kind of um, dismissing another person's experience. I also want to, to add that, you know, while trauma is, the experience of trauma might be subjective in that it varies from person to person and, and based on these factors we're talking about, um, but there's an objective quality to it as well. Um, and, and I think that's where, you know, to answer some of the questions around, you know, how do I know that I have trauma? Mm. Um, it, it's not simply like, well, I think I have trauma or, you know, um, you know, yeah, just feeling like they have to, uh, a person has to defend, you know, why what they're experiencing is trauma. We can say, no, like if we notice your nervous system's response, your reaction to this, th there's an objective quality to that. You know, mm. if, if I am feeling unsafe in the world, if someone, you know, touches my shoulder and I jump, you know, like, yeah, like that's, that that's an, an autonomic nervous system response that's likely tied to an earlier, you know, traumatic event. And, and so I think sometimes we talk about trauma as being subjective. People are like, well, it doesn't actually exist, or it's just like this person, you know, can't handle stress or there's something, you know, broken or wrong with them. And, and, and I think that's, that's certainly communicating um, an unhelpful message about, you right. know, you know, trauma being subjective, like there are, are, are very objective kinds of things that we can observe about a person's nervous system that, that indicates they've experienced trauma. We're not, you know, people aren't just making this up, you know, right. I think it's important to point that out as well. Yeah. I mean, this is a, an extensively studied topic mm -hmm. right now. It's a huge right. topic within psychology, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah. a massive area of research and there's yeah. more and more data coming out. It's, it's not yeah. that, um, and it is a soft science. It is mm -hmm. something where we're diving. We're not observing the outside of the brain, you know, oh mm -hmm. yeah, it's squishy. Yeah. It looks like a grapefruit. Yeah. No, we're, we're diving into the, we have to talk to people. We have to get into the sure. mix of it, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of data out there. I, I think, yeah, yeah there's, there's no question about that. Um, for people like you and I that are maybe willing to explore that, that maybe don't have as much of an agenda or mm -hmm. maybe our own inner world to protect. So we avoid any trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, right. But there is that component, like you said, that, that you talk to an evangelical, you talk to mm -hmm. someone that is maybe more conservative, more fundamental um, in their faith. They are not going to like the idea that what it, it's not just what works for them. This is what is an eternal, timeless truth. Um, so it's not right. just this works for me. Mm -hmm. This is a, the Bible told me because God told us that yeah. there is a hell and this is what it looks mm -hmm. like. And you're going to go there if you do X and you're not going to go there if you do Y. Mm -hmm. Like trying to communicate to someone like that uh, there was a great question in there I, i've got a list of questions here and it just feels yeah, like for sure. yeah, we can just kind of jump um, around. yeah but one of them that, came out that i thought was a brilliant question is how do you go talk about talking about this because you know this is yeah. something you know if if i was diagnosed with depression mm -hmm. i would want to be able to talk to my family my friends and say hey I've got depression. This is how it affects mm -hmm. me. This is what it looks yeah. like. This is kind of what I need from you. Um, I, I'm doing my best to work on this, but I need all the help I can mm -hmm. get around me. Yeah. And, and most of my friends in this day and age, even very fundamental Christians, would probably have some level of sympathy, some level of understanding. Sure. We all understand depression. Mm -hmm. Maybe some extreme Christians would be like, well, the joy of the Lord is your strength and you shouldn't mm -hmm. have depression. Sure. Or yeah. Maybe. But like, I think a lot yeah. more are becoming more open to mental health issues on some mm -hmm. level. Um, but when you talk about, hey, 
I've got religious trauma. What what mm-hmm. I'm saying to that evangelical is, hey, you are wrong. That that's what they're yeah. hearing, and they're yes. going, and yes. your God is wrong, and your religion is wrong, and Christianity is wrong. And so, how do we even begin going about? Because I know you have um, clients that you work with, and I'm sure mm-hmm. many of them have religious family, religious friends. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, and they don't want to just go, well, I guess I never talk to any of them ever again. Yeah. But of course, these people are probably the mm-hmm. most triggering of people mm-hmm. to be around yeah. <laughs> as far as yeah. uh, offsetting your trauma mm-hmm. and going back and living in that world. How yeah. do you um, encourage people to navigate that? Yeah. I, I'm really I'm, I'm so glad to hear this question because you know it, it kind of uh, ties into what we were talking about just moments ago, mm. where um, if if trauma exists in the event itself, then we're having a conversation about is the doctrine of hell traumatizing or not, and and so I, I think to how do I talk to believing friends and family about religious trauma? I think um, the place to begin is to talk about religious trauma as trauma. Um, if you were to talk, you know, to use your example about depression, if you were to say, you know, I'm experiencing depression and, and this is, these are the resources that I need. This is what's going on in my life. Um, that's a very different conversation than saying, you know, this relationship caused my depression because now we're having a conversation about, you know, you're wrong and why did you do this to me? And, and, and here we, you know, it's a very different conversation. And, and I think, I think that's where, um, bringing a more trauma-informed approach to how we talk about religious trauma, not as religious abuse. There's a place for that conversation. I, I, I want to have that conversation collectively as a society within religious communities, outside of religious communities. That, that's a really important conversation to have. However, when we conflate that with religious trauma, when we, when we conflate religious abuse with, with religious trauma, um, when you're talking to believing friends and family and you're saying, you know, the church was abusive to me, that might be true. If what you're trying to gain in that conversation is a deeper understanding of, of how I'm being impacted by that day to day, that's a very different conversation. But that's not inviting friends and family to um, dismiss your experience because, again, you're, you're centering this is my experience. This is how my nervous system is responding to that. Um, and, and, and I think you could even say something to the effect of, you know, whether or not, you know, hell is a real place. Um, my body is, is, is experiencing those teachings this way. Whether or not you think that the way the pastor treated me um, was, was traumatizing or if I should just get over it. Whether or not we, we come to any agreement on, on, on what was inherent in that experience this is how it's affecting me. Mm. And so, so I would, again, I think I would encourage folks to, to begin from a place of let's talk about trauma as trauma, as opposed to let's talk about religious trauma as religious abuse. Um, it, you know, again, we're, there's a place for that conversation, but, you know, talking about and trying to, to help another person understand your experience of trauma, that's probably not the place to, to talk about that just solely through the lens of abuse. Yeah. Once, once a person begins to understand, like, and, and, and can begin to validate and um, accept that, you know, your experience is your experience, and, and here's how your body is responding in these autonomic ways that you don't have full control over, then, um, you know, like you, you mentioned, you know, hopefully folks will be compassionate and, and have some understanding. It still invites them to 
you know, think about their beliefs differently or to maybe challenge some of their assumptions about the world. And, and, and that can be difficult for them, but that's not the point of that conversation, right? It's not right. to say, you know, I want to help you begin your deconstruction journey <laughs> against your will because, you know, I need you to better understand my trauma. Um, yeah, you know, even if, and I think this, this was part of another question, um, you know, even if a person's religious experience was a mix of care and support and connection yeah. and abuse and neglect and harm or disconnection. Um, you know, one person, a believing friend or family might be like, yeah, like I've really enjoyed all the positive experiences connected with, with church. And, and it might be difficult for them to recognize the, the more challenging or harmful yeah. components of that. Speaking about that through the lens of, of, of your personal experience, um, with a focus on, you know, this is how my body's responding to that, as opposed to, you know, this is true or false or right or wrong. Um, I, I think that at least invites, it creates a context in which that conversation can happen is there's no mm -hmm. guarantee. Um, but I think it gives you the best chance of, of, of getting some, some buy into to your experience without, you know, requiring a person to have their own deconstruction before they can understand you. Um, yeah. 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 It's it's such a, a complex thing talking with people that um in many ways are just at a totally different stage of life in in, mm. in, in how they see the world and what yeah. they need from the world as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um it, it just it requires it it feels so unfair. I talk about this a lot, but it feels so unfair that those who are on the out, those who are suffering, mm -hmm. those who are in pain have to take this higher ground and, and a higher yeah. road and go, mm -hmm. okay, I know that I am perfectly justified to turn around yes. and look at this abusive system or these yes. people that have hurt me or whatever and go, screw you guys, you're the, yeah. you're the worst, you know, whatever. Um, and of course, things are much more complex. People aren't intentionally mm -hmm. abusive and, you know, and all these things yeah. most of the time. Um, but it's, it seems so unfair when I'm in the midst of pain. I'm mm -hmm. the one experiencing trauma. I have to now educate my family on trauma. Yeah. I have to you know, take yes. the higher ground and go, oh gosh, what would, what would make them feel mm -hmm. unsafe in this conversation? Oh, if I worded yeah. it that way, that right. would scare them. Maybe I could word yeah. it this way. Mm -hmm. Like it feels so unfair, but the, the truth mm -hmm. is of those two parties, only one of those two parties is capable Yes. of taking that line yeah. of communication yeah. um so it's, it's just it's really tough it, yeah so I don't, I don't want people to hear like something like that and go oh that's well it's really unfair you're putting it under me because mm. the truth is it's right you don't have to do that it's just if you yes. want to have this conversation yes. you probably are going yeah. to have to be the person yeah. that does that yeah I, I certainly want to underline what you just said there as well um it, it's not a survivor's responsibility to educate you know yeah. folks who you know, were actively engaged in there and in, 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 in the abuse that caused that, or, or those who were complicit in that, or, or even just, you know, someone who wasn't connected at all. Um, it's not your job to to educate them. Um, however, if if your goal is to, to gain a bit more understanding there, um, then there are more effective and less effective ways of approaching yeah. that. And so, yeah, I certainly want to, to make that clear as well. And, and I think another thing I want to point out here, I think is also important. If, if you feel like you're needing to explain your experience to someone who, who is incapable or unwilling to, to hear you, um, that might be more of a please or please kind of response. Like, how can I, I need you to accept me so that I can feel safe. Mm. And, and, and there's something, you know, um, kind of disempowering about that. If my safety is connecting connected to your acceptance, right? 
you know, then, then I need to really work hard at getting, gaining your acceptance. And, yeah. and that can be done in a way um, that is disempowering and, and feels more like a survival response, you know? Yeah. And so, um, you know, while having a conversation to, to help another person gain deeper understanding of your experience might be helpful, it could also be equally helpful or even more mm-hmm. helpful to have the conversation of, no, I'm, I, I, I don't accept what you're saying i'm pushing you away i'm saying like no you don't get to treat me this way you don't get to tell me you know god has it all figured out and it'll be better in the end like i'm rejecting that i'm pushing that away as a way of getting out of that please and appease response as a way of saying i can be strong enough powerful enough um, to do what i need to say and do um, in order to feel safe from the world and so um yeah i I think i mean obviously there's a lot of nuance in every situation is unique um and so yeah i really appreciate you know as we're talking um i find both of us um you know, adding some additional information to the conversation that that's like, yeah, you know, results may vary. This is, this is maybe um, something to consider, um, but there, there are more than one way to approach that. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And I, I didn't on any level hear you saying that, yeah, you know, absolutely. the victim yes. had to educate no. her, yes. but I'm just yes. like, this is, this is yes. my mind when I'm here, I'm going, gosh, absolutely. this is so unfair. Yeah. Like this isn't yeah. just, I'm the, I'm yes. in this place. But, but the truth is if, if we want to have that conversation with someone that's in such a lockdown yes. place, they don't have the, yeah. the, the depth and com- yes. uh, comprehensive mm-hmm. kind of uh, communication yeah. and, 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 exploratory worldviews to have that kind of conversation. It does require someone else to take the initiative on some level, which is very painful. And so I guess it brings me to another component of this question. I think it was a question leading on from it where someone was asking, so if they are trying to have a conversation with friends Mm -hmm. and family, evangelicals, things like that, um, obviously there's ways that this can go better or worse. It's Mm -hmm. very rarely going to be easy. It's going to be a tough conversation, but on, on, on the spectrum, there is probably a window in that spectrum where it is just not going well at all. Mm. It is bad. It is bad. And bad would probably be an understatement as far as Mm. how it's experienced, right? It's crying, yelling, screaming, disowning, who knows, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And certainly in the mix of that, there is invalidation of how they feel. Mm. There's gaslighting. There's all Mm. kinds of stuff. Again, Mm not really as any um, commentary on the person that's been traumatized or trying to have this Mm -hmm. conversation, more as a commentary of the person's fragility, the Mm -hmm. fear of their religion, their existential world kind of crumbling if they even Mm -hmm. go into this. Um, What do you suggest? Is there a sort of a line here where you do draw a line? You kind of talk there Mm -hmm. about maybe creating some boundaries and going, hey, no, that's not okay. Is there a point where you, you kind of look at a communication and that's happening with friends and family and go, this is just not going to go well. And I need to yeah. take a step back. I need to exit. I need to create boundaries. I need to end relationships. Yeah. yeah. Do you yeah. have some kind I, of key points that you're like, this is just a big red flag. Take yeah. a step back. Yeah. So, so I, I think, and in, in, in I didn't offer this disclaimer earlier on in our conversation. So I'll offer it here, you know, anything that I'm, I'm sharing um, is for kind of educational um, purposes. It's not meant to replace you know, the, the knowledge and experience of your own personal physician and um, mental health provider. And so, um, and so when you ask me the, this question, I think that the, the thing that comes to mind is, is to talk about principles around that um, so that a person can more easily adapt that to their own unique experience. Mm-hmm. And so, so what would be required of in, in this particular context in order for that conversation to be a useful, helpful conversation? And so, so um, if we were to think about that through the lens of, 
the nervous system, we might, we might um, imagine someone uh, is pushing against us in a way that isn't safe for us. Maybe we're, we're pushed up against the wall. And, and, you know, if you were to do this movement and, and for those who are listening, you know, my, my hands are kind of pulled back to my, my, my shoulders and there's this kind of like, I'm, I'm, you know, kind of pulling away. And if you were to put your hands, you know, up to your shoulders like this, you know, palms facing out, you might notice it's harder to breathe here. Um, mm. I can't take a deep breath. Um, my, my body's moving into this kind of response where I can, you know, breathe at this very shallow top of my, my, my lungs kind of place, but, but I can't take a deep breath because I don't feel safe enough here. If I wanted to be open and curious and understanding and compassionate about another human in this place, um, I wouldn't be able to do that effectively. What I could do here, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an empathetic, compassionate person. I, there's a part of me cognitively, rationally, mentally that says this bully is behaving in this way because of various factors in their life. It's their unresolved trauma, you know, something that they've gone through. You know, what was, what was their family life like? You know, I, I want to be open and curious and compassionate. But when I do that in this freeze collapse place, what that translates to in my body is I feel more powerless. Now, my compassion for this person, my trying to be understanding of their experience is, is preventing me from doing what's necessary for my nervous system to feel safe and okay. Yeah. And so what, what compassion looks like in a freeze-collapse state is, is often more freeze-collapse, more, 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 more feeling disempowered. And so if we were to think about in this physiological state, um, is, it, is it is a context in which I can have a conversation um, that's safe and okay for me? And, and, and the likelihood is, 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 is that's going to be very difficult. Your nervous mm -hmm. system won't really allow you to do that. Now, if we were to take our hands from this position by our shoulders, palms out and push in this kind of middle place, we might imagine what is it like to, to like finally go like, no, and we're like this aggressive and forceful and powerful pushing kind of place here. And, and that might be, you know, saying something that needs to be said, you know, physically doing something, moving away. Um, this could be escaping the safety. It could be more of a flight response. But we're moving into this more activated response. Now, what I notice in my body is, is all of a sudden there's this, you know, like here, here goes, like there's, there's, you know, a quick in breath, a quick out breath, you know, my heart's racing a bit. I'm feeling this aggression, this, this power, this like survival energy to do something. And this is this mobilizing kind of energy. If we were to ask that same question here in this kind of middle place as we're pushing and we say, you know, can I be open and, and, and curious and compassionate about this other person in, in this place? It, again, it's going to be difficult to do that because yeah. inside of a fight or flight response, our, our body's focused on, you know, the exit. It's focused on the threat. It's focused on doing what's necessary. And so, so that's, going to be, that's going to be a context in which that conversation won't be super um, helpful or possible even. If we were to push all the way out and here's, you know, my arms fully extended, like, no. And, and here's the boundary. Here's the, like, you will not treat me this way. We are not having that conversation. I will not accept your Bible verses in response to my suffering. <sighs> I'm noticing that, you know, this is that I've, you know, hit the intruder over the head with a pan and, 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 and now, <laughs> the, you know, the, the, they're neutralized. They're no longer a threat to me my body can begin to come down to a place of, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm okay enough. If the bully is no longer pushing against me in this freeze collapse kind of place, I'm not in the please appease response. If I'm not actively, you know, 
but the Bible says this, but no, this is my experience, but, but did you read this book? And, and this is the kind of back and forth. This is the kind of arguing kind of yeah. fighting state. I'm not able to have much of a conversation there, but if I'm able to prioritize my need for safety first, if I can do what's necessary for, for myself to feel safer, stronger, more okay. Now being curious about like, yeah, like, you know, what is it about? What, what does religion do for them that it didn't do for mm. me? Um, might it be possible that, you know, they, they're not experiencing that in, in, in an adversive, harmful way, but maybe that's actually working for them at some level. It doesn't work for me, but it's working for them. Yeah. I can have that openness, curiosity, compassion from a place of safety. And so I, I think when, we, when we're looking at this question of, you know, how do we communicate with our family members, um, if we start from a foundation of safety, and, and do what's necessary to, to gain that safety, which might be the initial conversations are, no, I'm not talking to you about this. Um, pushing back, doing what needs to be done, saying what needs to be said, um, and, and also connecting with other supportive, nurturing, attuned nervous systems um, you know, outside of that relationship where you can begin to trust yourself a bit more, feel a bit more embodied, mm-hmm. a bit more empowered. Um, now, now we're creating a context in which that conversation is possible. We're not saying it's necessary. We're not saying it's required. We're not saying that it's even going to go well, but we're saying it's possible in a way that it's not possible in freeze collapse yeah. or in a fight or flight response. And so I, I, I think, um, you know, hopefully listeners who are, are hearing that description can can apply those principles to their own experience. And, and that will look very different for each person. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, what those boundaries are, how strong those boundaries are, um, Moving from a place of I need other people to be okay in order for me to be okay from a very pleasing and appeasing yeah. place, which is is the lived experience of so many people in high demand groups. Um, moving from that to a sense of I got this, I can trust myself. Yeah. No one gets to tell me about me. And in this more embodied sense of safety and strength and power, um, that 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 journey is not an easy journey. It's, it's yeah. a, there's certainly no a switch to flip that you just go from you know this external source of um, survival to an internal source of safety. Like it's not. Yeah. But I, I think not putting too much pressure on yourself. You know, I, I think sometimes you know folks who aren't familiar with trauma are like, well, well, just tell me what happened. You know like what's going on why 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 is this so difficult for you mm-hmm. and they're not prioritizing the person's need for safety first yeah um, i don't want to have a conversation with a client about their the details of their trauma um, early on i don't want to you know kind of push or pry or or try to you know go go beyond their 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 kind of internal capacity because i know that can be re-traumatizing yeah and so um and i don't want survivors to intentionally or i guess unintentionally um um i don't think anyone would, would intentionally do this but but they may feel like they need to have that conversation before they're ready yeah. and so there can be that kind of urgency that pushing that like i i need to you know to respond and, and, and to say, no, I'm not going to respond. I'm not having this conversation now can be incredibly powerful. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's brilliant. That's very, very helpful. I, I found in, in, in just trying to guess, I, I've done this without really consciously thinking through doing those steps, I guess, mm-hmm. but just yeah. closing my eyes, getting myself in a place where I put my hands on my heart and just think, and then I think yeah. through the conversation I have to have, mm-hmm. maybe it's someone at church mm-hmm. that I was terrified of talking yeah. to because I was trying mm-hmm. to leave, but I, I needed their approval. Right? And mm-hmm. I just, I just think, 
okay, let's go to their house and have that conversation. And immediately I'm like, yeah. and I'm like, okay, yeah. yes, yes, that's yes. not a good place to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. What if we had it at a coffee shop? Yes, oh, no. Yes. Oh, what if my friend Bob was there as well? Mm-hmm. Oh, that feels a bit mm-hmm. easier. And, yeah. and just almost visualizing myself through yes. the options. Um, yes. So I guess that I, that's what I was doing on some level is kind of yes. just trying to figure out, okay, where do yes. I feel? Oh, there's the space. My arms are all yes. the way out at this yes. point. Oh, yes. maybe that's how I start to explore this. Yes. Um, when, when we think about, I mean, what, what you're describing there is, is it's another really great component to this. It, it's this combination of internal and external resources um, in, 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 you know, contrast to the, the demand that, that that would place on your system mm. and to say, how can I change the environment? Um, yeah. What form do I want this conversation to take? You know, sometimes a face-to-face conversation is what is going to feel strongest and most powerful to you. Um, often an email conversation, like this will be in writing. Yeah. When you reply, I can take a moment and decide when I want to read the reply. I'm not in this, you know, you know, immediate kind of threat response. And so, yeah, to, to think about the context, how do I want to do that? And, and as you're describing, kind of visualizing that, I, I would say you were kind of embodying that as well. Mm. Um, because it wasn't just this kind of like, well, let me just imagine these two different, different scenarios. And like, what do I cognitively think about that? You're like, no, my body's like, no, don't yeah, go to yeah, that yeah. house. You quickly feel the, the, yes, the sinking yes, in your gut, the, yes, the tightness sure. in your chest, yes, whatever it is. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think, you know, definitely, um, you know, prioritizing your safety, your strength, your power inside of that context as well. Another piece I would add to that is, um, is practicing no. Mm. Um, practicing no in, in easier contexts, you know, decline yeah. in offer to for an upsell or, or something that you're not interested in, in buying at the store. Um, or, you know, saying no with as few words as possible. Um, saying no without justifying why you're saying no. Um, our ability to, um, you know, be okay in those difficult conversations often is quite dependent upon, you know, how much power do I have? And if I can't say no in a way that's forceful and strong and, and, and I don't feel like I have to explain or rationalize or justify my no, but I'm like, nope, we're done. Yeah. And just being with that discomfort and, but also feeling the strength and power of that. Like I'm, I don't need to make this other person understand me right now. I don't need, to rescue them. You know, if I'm saying yeah. church was, was harmful for me and here's how, and here's the, the lasting impacts on my own life and a person's like, Ooh, that's, that's really upsetting to me. Like, I can't believe this happened to you. And, and, and all of a sudden you, as, as the survivor, you're being invited to comfort or soothe or make it okay for them. And then mm-hmm. I want to encourage survivors that, that that's not your job. You know, yeah. that's their work to do. Um, we're not intentionally trying to inflict harm. And if we see that that's happening, we want maybe, maybe take a step back or not push any further. Um, but you know, in the same way that you're prioritizing your safety, um, they're able to prioritize their safety as well. And, you know, they can push away and say, I'm not having this conversation anymore. And, And we can respect that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's really tough. Like, I mean, it's tough talking about these things to people that are open and people mm, that are yes. welcoming to, to start to have these conversations, <laughs> yeah. to start to be a bit more vulnerable, to, to mm. go into things that are, we don't want to explore and relive, yeah, really particularly. Sure. We spend most of our time trying to trap these and push mm-hmm. them down, not yeah. open up a conversation. Yeah. So to do that with someone that, that maybe isn't yeah. safe. And and I think yeah. you hit a good point um, as well, where um, people often are so driven by this need to um, fit in, to appease, mm-hmm. to please, um, that maybe they have those conversations a bit 
early. You know, it, yes. what I've noticed, yeah. so the stage of deconstruction generally happens when we look at um, uh, ego development theory or other mm-hmm. de- developmental yeah. theories. Mm-hmm. Sure. We look at people go from this uh, prior stage, which most people who are very conventional Christians are, mm-hmm. are at the stage where they, they, they primarily feel safe in a certain group mm-hmm. that keeps them uh, secure and safe and there's a belonging and this is who we are. But in that, they give up a lot of their own autonomy. Yeah. Um, and actually, that's why a lot of things that might be very harmful for an individual aren't so sure. harmful because they're giving that mm-hmm. up. They're giving up that yeah. side of them mm-hmm. to belong. And the yeah. next stage of development is you become a lot more autonomous. You become mm-hmm. a lot more individually driven. You want to mm-hmm. build yourself and develop yourself and evaluate how you need to grow and develop. Mm-hmm. And in that, you start looking and going, oh, holy crap, there's trauma in here, there's, there's abuse, there's whatever, yeah. and you start yeah. dealing with it. Um, but there's, it's, you don't just go from one to the other. And so mm-hmm. what I found is a lot of people that are shifting and start to discover, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, I've got some trauma, or oh my gosh, I've got some stuff I need to address with my family, or, or whatever it might be. Um, they themselves are still have one foot in that mm. in that group in that in that mindset yeah. that is I want to mm. belong I want this group yeah. to accept me yeah. to be pleased with yeah. me to not reject me because that's mm. how I find some maybe not all yeah. my safety now mm. some of my safety feels in being a confident strong individual mm. that's got autonomy and control of my mm. life but a bunch of that also comes from mm. I want to belong to this group I want to feel yeah. safe I want to you see this all the time I mean deconstructing yeah. Christians a third of them still in church very yeah. much happy because mm-hmm. they want to belong on some yeah. level um yeah. and so i think it's it's mm-hmm. interesting being aware of that tendency mm-hmm. that we still probably have a need to belong mm-hmm. to feel safe to feel a part of this yeah. group and and that pushing us to have that conversation mm-hmm. maybe a bit too early do you have thoughts right. on how to recognize yeah. when you're ready um, I know that you yeah. kind of talked a bit about, you know, figuring out that kind of balance of, of God yeah, sure. space. Or, yeah, but. sure. Yeah, I, I think this is a really important, um, you know, distinction that you're making there. Because there's no, um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think there's an easy answer to that, you know. When 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 do I have that conversation, um, you know, in, in a when we talk about groups and, and how important they are to us and we talk, I think <clears throat> from a Western perspective, we, we really prioritize, you know, kind of the individual and personal autonomy and, um, and that can function, you know, well for some folks. Um, at, at, at our core, we're social mammals and, and we need each other. And so if, if we're thinking about leaving a group where we have, where we have some, um, social connection and resources there, and we're not finding another, you know, another group, another form of connection um, to to kind of replace that or to take its place. That is going to be um, a really big, you know, disadvantage for us. That's that's going to be, um, you know, we're going to lose a protective factor potentially. And so, so that that does put a, a survivor in a bit of a bind, right? Like this group represents harm and, and, and things that aren't safe and okay for me. And, and they also represent, you know, some form of connection. Um, and, and that's, that is a resource for me. And w- when we think about what that does to a nervous system, this, we, we evolved to kind of move in the direction of caregivers of comfort and support. Um, when we're born, you know, our, our, our brain isn't fully developed, our nervous system isn't fully developed. We're, we're, we're not able to, to self-regulate until we have the, the experience of co-regulating with another nervous mm. system. And so, so it's central to our, our, our humanity. Like we need each other truly. 
And, and when that need for community and connection is exploited or high demands are placed upon that or there are consequences if you, you don't perform or you know, do as expected within the group, then, then safety and connection is also a very risky thing, right? You know, I, if, if, if I don't please the group, I'm not going to be safe here. I'll be mm. rejected. And, and we can think about it through an evolutionary lens of, you know, how that functions within a group um, to maintain cohesion. But we can also see that through a nervous system lens of, like, that's a high price to pay for this connection. That's yeah. essential to your survival, but also maybe requiring you to live inside of a, a survival response, um, uh, you know, not, not able to survive, but not able to feel safe. Mm. And so, you know, um, how do we want to navigate that? Um, having these conversations too early, you know, might be overwhelming. We're not ready for that. Um, not having the conversations at all may feel very disempowering and disconnected. And so there's no right answer to how to, to move forward. But again, focusing on what you need to feel a bit safer, a bit stronger, a bit more connected within your current community, if, if that's mm. the only option that you have, you know, expanding those, um, you know, potential resources to other 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 humans, you know, folks like um, in the deconstruction group that you have, and other you know online communities, in-person communities where you can begin to um, connect with other humans and get that same sense of I'm a heard, I'm seen, I'm understood, yeah. um, I'm a valid human. Um, yeah, I, I think it really does point to why religious trauma um, is so challenging. Right. And, and, and this, this goes back to why developmental trauma is so challenging, um, more challenging for a nervous system in many ways than, you know, really big single incident traumas. Mm -hmm. When a caregiver is a source of safety and support, as well as harm, neglect, um, abandonment, you, your nervous system doesn't know whether it moves toward or away. And it kind of freezes. You're just like, yeah. I, I don't have options and, you know, that becomes a very isolated, lonely, you know, disconnected place. And, and to not have a foundation of, of safety and connection um, to go back to, it's, you have to kind of build that from scratch, as it were. And, yeah. and, if, and if that sense of survival has only been attached to your religious beliefs about a God who you've discovered is, is maybe also a source of harm for you, then you know, a person needs to do some work around, you know, how do I reconceptualize my, my, my idea of God and, or, you know, how do I um, feel safe and strong on my own in, in relationship with others? Like, I mean, there are many options, many paths to go from there, but all of them are leading to a sense of, of safety and connection and strength, um, both within yourself and as, as part of your external um, connections and resources. Mm. Yeah, gosh, there's, there's so many directions we could go. Yeah, I know, for sure. <laughs> I, I want to be aware, because we started a bit late, but I want to make sure, yeah, sure, how are you doing for time? Are you okay? I, I'm okay for another half an hour, yep. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I'll, we'll make sure we wrap up by then, but uh, great. Well, one of the things, I mean, there's a couple of things in here that I'm really fascinated by. Mm -hmm. um, one of them was someone talked about uh, dealing with, you're talking there, but, you know, going through deconstruction, it's a very isolating mm -hmm. program. Um, something like religious trauma is uh, in some ways so unique because it has such far-reaching implications mm -hmm. it's not right. just my family it's not just my workplace it's not just yeah. my friend it is like it all mm -hmm. just becomes this kind of one world that you suddenly yeah. lose you lose all these friends you lose all this mm -hmm. stuff um and so i was talking about the kind of next level of that um they were talking about like i, I think they're a uh, post-mormon um mm -hmm. but living in utah 
being a yeah. post-Mormon <laughs> and having religious trauma. Like, how do you go about dealing with um, being forced to live mm-hmm. in places that are deeply triggering for you? So, mm-hmm. you know, for some people, they don't have to do this to that high a degree, but maybe most mm-hmm. of their friends are going to bring up, you know, religious yeah. stuff where they're going to pray mm-hmm. or you know you're like oh gosh yeah. that's not just my family it's my friends are doing mm-hmm. it. or you go to work and there's the one guy at work that's given an altar call every week and you're like yeah, oh my right, god yeah. this is so triggering for me yeah. or whatever or talking about hell or whatever mm-hmm. it might be um yeah. or it might be that you live in utah and you're like jesus mm-hmm. is there anywhere yeah. that's safe yeah. you know <laughs> uh, you go to a coffee shop and they're playing yeah. like worship music or whatever you know it's just there is yeah. no end. How, how, how do yeah. you recommend people go about living life yeah. when there is just, it seems every corner is, yeah. is this new trigger? Yeah, it's such a great question. I, um, I, I live in, in Boise, Idaho, which, um, you know, in some ways Idaho is, is like Northern Utah in terms of um, the, the demographics of, um, you know, LDS believers here. And, and actually the, the, the majority of my in-person and, and local clients are, you know, um, former um, LDS as well. And I I think, I think the, the Mormon experience is, um, is similar and and yet unique. Um, When we think about the the difference between um, belonging to an evangelical group um, versus, you know, being part of the LDS church, um, it tends to be just more pervasive. Like it it encompasses your entire experience. I think, you can find that in in some evangelical groups as well, um, but I think Mormons do that better than maybe most yeah. religious. They groups. get the community component down, yes, like big time. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And and there re- there really are amazing you know um, sources of s- support and connection that, that come with strings attached. Mm-hmm. Um, that that feel very maybe warm and friendly and accepting, but also there is this underlying sense of you know. If, if. <laughs> if you don't believe like us, then then you're not okay. And and here here are the demands, um, and you know just the way shame and and, and worthiness are, are kind of reinforced within that community. Um, and, and 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 you know if um, I, I never I was never part of the LDS Church, but I've, I certainly have learned a lot about that. Um, you know how they they kind of structure you know, even where they, they, they meet for worship in these different wards and, and you're assigned, you know, based upon your address, like where you, where you go to church and when you go to church, what time. And, and so when, when, when you're in a really, you know, heavily Mormon community, um, when you meet someone, there's a question of, well, you know, which ward do you go to? There's the, all these, you're, you're not just another human meeting, you know, someone you're like, you know, I'm trying to figure out where I place you. And so as someone who was formerly part of, uh, of the church, you, you have the experience of, I, I can't escape it. it. It really is everywhere. And I, I truly wish I had a really helpful, easy answer um, for that. I, I think um, each person's experience will be you know, unique to them, focusing on how can I gain a sense of community connection support um, in some small way whether that's online or, or finding your, your local group of exmos, you know, whatever that is for you to connect with, that there is that um, need for community, uh, that need for connection, uh, a need to kind of share your experience um, w- with others. And, and, and so, yeah, I think, um, again, also, you know, prioritizing your own sense of safety, you know, how can you um, interact in such a way that you're not deferring you know, to your true believing Mormon friends and family. Um, 
I, I actually want to I want to share this um, this exercises experience that came up recently in, in a in a in a therapy um, um, session, and I'm able to share this without disclosing any identifying information about the person. I actually have the permission to share um, because I've shared it with several other clients as well. I think what what happens is. Um, when a person, a family member, a friend is disapproving of us, you know, there's this kind of shame that, that, they're, that they're wanting to kind of offload on us and, and we're expected to kind of take it to, you know, you know accept that. And so, um, I, and now I would invite you to kind of visualize this if, if, if that's something you're comfortable doing, willing to do. And um, as you're listening, you can do this as well. Um, imagine that you're on this this roller coaster that's your life um it's a thrilling ride it has its ups and downs it has its challenges but there's just a quality of like i'm on this roller coaster it's amazing ah you know like finally i'm free finally i'm doing what i want to do in my life and, and you might just notice like maybe your hands are here at times you're just really enjoying this ride and now i want you to to think of someone in in your life who represents you know um, a, a friend or family member who's still part of the church someone who um is not okay with your deconstruction journey who maybe doesn't understand your religious trauma and as you're riding your roller coaster i want you to look over to the side down into the side and maybe notice them sitting on a bench and and they're just shaking their head disapprovingly at you Whew. um what does it feel like mm. to see this? You know, what do you notice about how shame is communicated forcefully, not without even words, just that shaking their head. And, and moments ago, you were on this amazing ride and it was like, finally, I'm living my life the way I want to. This feels very important and connected and amazing. And, and, and now there's a sense of like, you know, maybe your stomach kind of feels like it's dropping out. Maybe there's a tensing in your shoulders and, and chest. Maybe there's, you know, some physiological response to that. We're going to go through the same exercise, um, but we're going to have a different way of looking at them in a moment. So, so now let, let, let's just setting aside um, the person on the bench, reconnecting to your roller coaster. Ah, maybe there's this, you know, you know, turn, you just went around. There's another kind of, you know, thrilling part of the ride and you're just really connected again like okay i'm here this is my life i'm doing what i want to do this feels important and connected and, and we're going to come around the the corner again and, and and have an opportunity to look over at that bench where where, where your family member or friend is, is sitting but this time i want you to look with eyes of pity not patronizing pity um, and pity maybe isn't the, the word, with some compassion. I want you to look over at them with a, a quality, a felt sense of, I wish better for you. I can't, there's, I just can't imagine that sitting on a bench, judging others disapprovingly is the best version of your life. You know, if it is, I, I wish you the best with that, but I just can't imagine that it is. And, and whatever that is for you, I want better for you. I want you to have your own roller coaster. I don't want you to be riding my roller coaster. I'm not trying to sell you my roller coaster or convince you that you should ride a roller coaster like mine, but I want you to find the thing that works for you. I want that for you. And now notice as you look over and you see them shaking their head disapprovingly, and there's just this quality of like, I, I wish you well. I, I want better for you. I want you to know what I know about how life can be. And, and notice where does that shame go? Where does that disapproval go? 
um, it's still going to have some impact for us, likely. We're still going to feel that. And there might be some sadness there. We might feel some loss, some disconnection. But if we can, you know, I, I think this taking the, the kind of high ground, as it were, um, you know, if you're in a predominantly Mormon community, you know, Mormons are, are, are not dissimilar to many other fundamentalist groups where their way is the right way and they know they're right. And, and you clearly aren't right. <laughs> You're wrong. And so there's that kind of like, we do it better than you. We do life better than you. Um, you know, we have the answers and you don't. And, and, and there's that, that, I think that's a disapproval that we, we, we kind of sense from them. It's like, I'm better than you. They would never mm. say that out loud, but that's communicated you know, I, you're, you're not living the best life because you don't believe what we believe. And, and instead of them celebrating, like, I'm proud of you for living life the way that works for you. Like, that looks like an amazing roller coaster. Like, go you, you know, you know, maybe like, hey, waving, hey, good job, do you. Um, we're getting that sense of disapproval from them. And so when you can move through the world from a place of, um, I, I don't want you to, to live a certain way to please me and you don't have to live how I'm living, but whatever it is that works best for you, I would want that for you. Mm-hmm. Now we're modeling this kind of um, behavior that we might want to receive from them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I tell folks a lot, like um, if you're in this deconstruction mode and, and, and you're immersed in the conversations around, is this true or false? Is this right or wrong? you meet your true believing friends and you're like wanting to have that conversation. I think it, it can be helpful to say, yeah, it, I, it independent of whether it's true or false or right or wrong, it doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. And, and I can imagine that it still works for you and, and, and go you, you know, do what works for you. Yeah. This, it doesn't work for me. Um, it may or may not work for you, but that's not my place to decide. Um, changes that conversation. You're not having the, is this true or false or right or wrong? You're having the, um, I want you to do what works for you. And I hope you can, you know, offer me that, extend that same kind of um, generosity to me as well. Yeah. 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 That's so important. Um, Yeah. I think that we all run the risk of getting a bit fundamental about how not fundamental we are. Um, (laughs) And uh, yeah, become... yeah, become the 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 mm-hmm. evangelist for yeah, you know, and, and trying and to I, get people I, to change and yeah, yeah. I, I think this goes back to and you know everything that I do as a therapist, as a human who sees the world through the trauma lens, is is really prioritizing a, a person's safety, their strength, their power, their connection, and and kind of looking at it through that that lens. Um, you know, it, what I just described in that exercise. Um, the, the, the ability to have compassion understanding for another human um, does assume some level of safety and strength yourself. Yeah. And so finding ways to connect more um, fully and in this embodied way to your roller coaster, this is my life, this is what I'm doing, these are my choices, and I feel very safe and strong and connected inside of them, that allows you to see the disapproving look um, without that, you know, disrupting your sense of safety. Um, and so, yeah, you know, that, that may not be something a person's capable of doing, um, if, if they're just trying to figure out if this roller coaster safe for right. me yet or not. Um, <laughs> yeah. So kind of bearing that in mind. 
Yeah. If you're not enjoying the roller coaster, you're yeah. not looking off yeah. to the side. You're like just gripping <laughs> yeah. white knuckles. Yes, um, for sure. Absolutely. I, I wonder as well, um, we're, we're barely getting through these questions. So I keep having oh, I thoughts know, based okay. on what you're talking yeah. about. But um, yeah. I, I wonder, there's, there's a component of um, integrating our past as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I think yeah. a lot of the times when working through deconstruction or even religious mm-hmm. trauma stuff, um, you know, there was some great questions, a couple of questions, I think, of people going, I couldn't, I, I'm struggling to validate my religious uh, trauma because so much of my experience was good. Um, yeah. I feel like there's this great need for people to be able to almost do that, to look upon someone that is in that mm-hmm. fundamental place still and go, yeah. oh, gosh, I, I feel sorry for you that you yeah. aren't maybe experiencing all that life could be for you. Mm-hmm. but. I understand as well on some level. And maybe I look at my past self and go, oh gosh, Mm. I wish I could have had broken free of that. I wish I Mm. hadn't experienced that religious trauma. But also going, but I understand that so much of this was really helpful for me at the time. Mm -hmm. And it's what I needed. You know, maybe you came out of uh, addiction or you were in an abusive family and actually going into a healthy, Mm -hmm. safe church that gave you community, that gave you love, that gave you affection, Mm -hmm. that gave you stability. Those are incredible things to develop in yourself and then move on to become Mm -hmm. a bit more autonomous and a bit more, you know, what. so Mm -hmm. so I think, uh, do you have thoughts on, uh, or, or when you work with people that are going through religious trauma, like, how do you go about helping people integrate the good parts mm. without rejecting the bad or yeah. reject the bad without mm. necessarily rejecting the good? Yeah. Like how, how do people go about that? Yeah, yeah I, I think it's a very unique journey for each person. However, I think one of the things that can be helpful in that journey is to um, kind of set aside the notion that you have a true self. <laughs> you know, um, this is a very fundamentalist way of viewing uh, oneself as like, well, you know, I finally am, am living, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm finally connected to my true self, you know, religion wasn't my true self. And, and, and now and now I am my, my true self. And, and, and there'll be a tendency to, to kind of grasp onto this new thing and hold that tightly as well. If we look at um, our past experience inside of religion, um, and, and I guess I would caution folks to, this isn't about trying to, you know, find all the, the redeeming qualities and, and, you know, how do I, you know, take the things that were helpful for me um, and, and keep them and, and reject the rest. I mean, that, that certainly can be part of the process. However, looking at, at that through the lens of, you know, how did that function for me then? And, and how might that function change in a different context? Um, you know, if we think about, you know, an experience or a belief or a practice having inherent kind of qualities to it. Mm. Um, if we say a chair is, is, is a chair is a chair and it's, this is what it is, this is what it does, this is what it looks like. And then all of a sudden we have this, this, this image of like, this is a chair and, and we, we believe that that's, that's what it is. And then we encounter a chair, you know, when we're capsized in the ocean and it's floating and it's like, well, the, the, the chairness of the chair is no longer important to us. Right. It's functioning as a flotation <laughs> device. And I appreciate that it can have multiple functions depending on the context. Moving from a, a fundamentalist background where everything is inherent, everything is like, this is true. This is absolutely true, universally true in every context. Um, it can be difficult to, to salvage things that, um, that may be functional now, um, but aren't super functional when we're holding tightly to them. And so I think starting from a place of um, I'm not, um, my, my, my sense of self isn't, um, you know, 
self as content is, is, is um, a kind of a, a term that, that we use to describe that. I am the, the summation of all the different roles that I occupy, the beliefs that I hold, the feelings that I experience. Um, you know, if I were to look at my life through that lens, I'd say, you know, I'm a therapist, I'm a father, you know, I'm, you know, feeling a little bit anxious. And, and I would begin to identify I'm a Christian, I'm a non-Christian. Like these are these kind of like, this is who I am. I exist in these labels, these constructs, these ideas, um, self as content. If I were to expand out and say, um, you know, maybe I'm self as process, I'm this ongoing process of change. This comports with what we know about the nature of the world, even our own physical being, you know, regenerates cells at a, right. a fairly regular rate. And so we're not the same physical being. And, and, and to zoom out even further in self as context, this sense of um, I, I, I'm, I'm observing this ongoing process of change. You know, if we think about these transitions that we go through as deconstruction, um, they're incredibly overwhelming if I'm attached firmly to this is yeah. who I am and now I'm no longer that, who am I? That does require um, kind of rebuilding a, a sense of self um, ongoing through that process. Mm. But what I would want to encourage folks is to recognize that that rebuilding a sense of self that ongoing process of change has been, you know, they've been experiencing that, experiencing that over time. They've, they've kind of pushed that into a, well, no, but I'm still a Christian and this is who I am. And, and, and they've tried to, you know, really maybe just only focused on, you know, selfless content. But, but most of us don't have the same values we had when we were five years old. Most of us right. don't experience the same world, the, the, the world in the same way that we did when we were 16. Like there's, this changes over time. So, so I think helping folks um, really connect with that for that ongoing process of change, not to represent unsafety or, or, you know, dysregulation, but for that to represent potential. Mm. It is overwhelming it can be overwhelming and full of potential at the same time. And how do we begin to connect with the potential? What direction do I want to move in? How can I connect more fully with the things that matter to me? Um, that allows us to loosen our grip on this is how it has to be. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I, I think, um, yeah, no easy answer there, but maybe some principles to um, kind of incorporate into that process. No, that's great. It's really, really interesting. I, I think about stuff all the time. I, I like to think yeah. about stuff more from a kind of existential, kind of philosophical yeah, sure. lens, just that even yeah. looking at that and looking at right. stages of life and how we build yeah. ego and shrink ego and grow ego and all yeah. these different ideas and, and how much, yeah. I mean, we're, we, like mm -hmm. people that are going through this going, I am this person. This yes. is who I am. Yes. It's a, yes. Yes. it's a physical so objective reality. Mm -hmm. yes. Well, the second I change, I have some level of existential Potential crisis yes, on my yes, hands and then yes. i build a finally piece it back together and go oh good okay this is mm. who i am good yes. luck right i mean how many minutes yeah. are you expecting mm. to hold this one it's, yeah it's truly it's a lot and i wonder so part of me wonders um and this is something that came out a couple of people asked me this question and we were talking on my discussion group the other day we just we discovered so um someone brought up the myers-briggs and i've not looked at mm -hmm. myers-briggs forever yeah. i used to love it yeah um, and they were like, oh, does anyone know what Myers-Briggs are? And like, we discovered like of like the 20 people that were chatting, about half of them were INFJs, mm -hmm. which is the least common uh, mm -hmm. type. Yeah. And, and we were like, oh, that's weird. And then we were like, oh, I wonder if like there must be some, if that's genuinely the mm -hmm. least common type. Actually, my yeah. wife is, my best friend is, I've got yeah. loads of friends that are INFJs. <laughs> and I'm like, I reckon yeah. it's common, actually. Yeah, Someone right. put the data in wrong somewhere. Um, yeah. But 
we were like, is is there some component of certain personalities? Now, I, I don't like the idea mm-hmm. of personality as a fixed construct like we're talking mm-hmm. about sure, right yeah. here. Yeah. I think all these mm-hmm. things can be you know, very morpheus and mm-hmm. change and whatever. Yeah. But I do wonder if certain personalities um, mm-hmm. maybe in that context are more likely to deconstruct and are more likely to join mm-hmm. an online group to talk about it, yeah. whatever the, the specific niche mm-hmm. is. Are, are there certain personality types that are more susceptible to religious trauma, some of the the components mm. of certain theologies of taking that on in unhealthy yeah. ways. Is there certain types of personalities that are more likely to uncover that or mm. repress it or whatever? Yeah. Do you have thoughts on that? Because I thought it was a really interesting yeah. question that someone had asked. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think the research on personality is you know obviously ongoing, um, and I think a lot of the you know like Myers Briggs and in, in, in various kind of ways of of identifying you know this is. The, the traits that that I exhibit the most in the world, you know, there's not a lot of, you know, empirical evidence around that. Sure. If you take the Myers-Briggs, you know, um, several times, you'll get, you know, some it's massively and, fallen out of a yeah, and, and, and so, days, yeah. so I, I like to look at those through the lens of if it's helpful and useful in terms of here's how I view myself and here's the kind of person you are. And, and this can be a structure in which we can understand each other more. Yeah. That could be very adaptive and functional. I think when it comes to maybe some of the, the big five personality traits that there is a bit more kind of empirical evidence around. Um, I think the, the, the openness, this um, ability to be more open in the world um, is, is, I don't have evidence for this, but I think it's more likely to be um, connected to folks who are going through a deconstruction process. It takes a certain amount of willingness to be with uncertainty, to explore, mm-hmm. to be curious, to be open in order to navigate that process. Um, and, and so I, I think looking at it through the lens of, you know, what is adaptive for the person in, in this context, um, you know, and in, in whether that's tied to, you know, personality as we understand it or, or, or not. And again, that's not a, a fixed characteristic. And I'm, I'm super um, interested and intrigued with some of the research going on around psychedelics um, having a lasting effect on increasing mm. openness. Um, I think it, that that may, um, which, you know, there's anecdotal evidence for, um, you know, that having the, the potential to be an antidote to fundamentalism. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I can't see the world in, in such a constricted black and white way anymore. I, there are more options, more possibilities, and, and I have to consider that. However, looking at that through the lens of trauma, um, narrowing the world, making it simpler, easier, having, you know, you know, basic boxes to put things in um, is a way of conserving energy um, that can be a source of, you know, um, that can be a really effective survival response. Yeah. And and so um, I guess when we talk about, you know, folks who are going through this deconstruction process and maybe it's it's exciting, thrilling, like I'm learning new things and look at the world's expanding and isn't this amazing? Or, or even, if, even if it's not like to that degree of, excitement, but it's like, it, it doesn't impact them as much. I think if we looked at that and in, in, in assessed for, you know, how, how much autonomy do you have? How safe do you feel? How strong do you feel? Um, in, in, at least from my perspective, um, it requires a certain level of safety to be curious. Um, you know, curiosity is a really powerful force and it can help us, you know, to be okay with uncertainty and to explore and to expand our, our world. And yet, if my um, body is, 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 you know, trying to survive a situation, um, 
I, I, you know, if you're running from a predator, there's, you don't care that there's really amazing flowers along the path, right? right. There's just like nothing matters, but survival. And so, so I, I think, um, I think it's important for us to acknowledge the, the certain level of, of, you know, safety that's required, which also might assume some level of privilege, which can then expand the conversation to, you know, what are the, the social constructs around you? What are the systems that are impacting your overall sense of safety and well-being in the world? And, and how might that make it more difficult for you to be open and curious? Um, mm. And so um, ideally we're creating conditions where it's possible to be open and curious. Um, yeah. But but that, that does, in, in my experience, that's very dependent upon um, our level of safety. Yeah. yeah, which makes so much sense. So, yeah. so much sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Fascinating. Brian, there's 110 things I'd love to go into, but, yeah, know, but let's, let's wrap up. We'll, we'll do this <laughs> okay, again, sure, I'm sure, yeah. at some point. Awesome. Um, yeah. But tell me, so since we last talked, it's not been that long. It's only been a few mm-hmm. months, actually, hasn't it? Yeah. Was it December we talked, I think? Maybe I November? Think so. Yeah, it was, it was before the holidays, so, yeah. But mm-hmm. you have, uh, you and uh, Laura have announced some stuff with the Religious mm-hmm. Trauma Institute. You've got some yeah, new stuff right. going on. Yeah. Do you want to talk a bit about what you're doing, how people can connect with you? For sure. Um, yeah. Give them an update. Obviously, if people are like, what, who the heck is this guy? We didn't yeah. really give much of an intro. Oh, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll yeah, record an intro before and say, go <laughs> okay. back and listen to the last episode first. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, for sure. But yeah, of course, people can um, check out your uh, your prior episodes, your Instagram, your Facebook mm-hmm. for Room to Thrive and roomtothrive.com yeah. for your practice and Religious Trauma Institute at Instagram and Facebook mm-hmm. and religioustraumainstitute.com is the website. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, what's changing? Yeah, so, what's, what's happening? Yeah. So, so last week we, um, we've been working on this project for a while and, and we are finally able to introduce it. Um, so we, we introduced the, the collaborative research group for religious trauma. And I think as of now, um, I think over 63 um, researchers and graduate students have joined the group um, and you know, more folks um, are, you know, yeah, we, we hope to grow and expand the group. Our, our focus is to um, to begin to, to ask these questions in, in more kind of scientific and academic ways, um, looking at the clinical implications of that as well. Um, and, and so I think part of our, our goal is to more, more, clearly define what we're talking about as religious trauma um, and, and to see that not as this amorphous syndrome or something that, you know, tries to encompass all these different, um, you know, maybe mental health disorders inside of one big umbrella, but to say, um, let, let's talk about religious trauma as trauma, as um, a, a stress-related disorder. Let's, um, you know, talk about, you know, maybe <clears throat> deconstruction. We could talk about that as maybe leading to religious trauma, resulting in religious trauma for some folks, but that could also result in an adjustment disorder that, that could result in, in maybe uh, some form of, of complex mm-hmm. grief, um, anxiety, um, you know, OCD, there's there's already kind of um, work around religious-based OCD and, and scrupulosity. <clears throat> and so so our focus is is really on, on the trauma piece, but we're also wanting to, you know, kind of uh, conceptualize it in a way that you know the medical community, the, the scientific community, the mental health community can acknowledge and recognize religious trauma as a form of trauma, not as a yeah. separate um, outside of the umbrella of complex PTSD and PTSD, um, but but to see that as fitting underneath that. This is a context in which that trauma occurred. Here are some of the characteristics of that. And, and so I think a lot of our work um, within the research group, which um, it, it, I'm, I'm really excited to see a lot of folks already doing research around the edges of this and, and, you know, um, and also 
beginning to, to gain more clarity around like what are these component factors that contribute to religious trauma. I think the adverse religious experiences construct that we've come up with um, will give us a framework to begin to understand, you know, what do we know about power and control dynamics in a religious mm-hmm. setting? How do they tend to function? You know, when when these um, elements are high, you know, what what is the rate of trauma experienced by folks in these congregations? And, and we can begin to have some some really good data around that. And I think that's going to be important for us moving forward. And so, um, if, if 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 a listener is a graduate student in um, a program interested in studying religious trauma, or part of a university lab who is you know doing some research, or even um, you know, a research group that's unaffiliated. In fact, I wanted to invite you um, to be part of the group based on your um, research with uh, the de- deconstruction community, because I think that that mm-hmm. you know fits in very nicely with the work we're doing. Um, I would invite them to to kind of um, you know, apply to join the group. Um, it, we we are limiting it to folks who are are, are you know kind of actively engaged in, in the research, um, and we're going to be introducing additional groups, um, a clinical. Um, consultation group um, where that'll be open to mental health professionals around religious trauma and um, as an organization we're we're not primarily focused on providing direct support we, we think there are other groups who are doing that yeah. uh, fairly well and we want to support that that work we're really wanting to increase the, this clinical knowledge and awareness of religious trauma so we, we, we will be creating additional um, you know resources for survivors and all the work that we do is being informed by in centering the experience of religious trauma survivors and we want their feedback and input in their ways for, yeah. for folks to get involved in doing that um but yeah i'm just super excited about you know, like what all this represents very exciting it's be huge yeah, yeah. It's, and it's huge and it's so important it really is yeah. such important work um and there's yeah. different people kind of pushing some areas of this but i know there's a lot yeah. of contention over who's doing what mm. and how they present a yeah, lot of this stuff sure and, yeah um, I, so I, it's I good that, to get a yeah. good group of academics yes. that are in different areas different yes. fields looking at this and then yes. creating some consensus and creating some yeah. good hard data and hopefully yeah. educating and and, mm-hmm. and helping other um, clinicians and i, I yeah. wanted to just on that topic before we finish mm-hmm. i do want to ask because i know we last last time on, on the podcast we talked a little bit about people looking to get help where where are your go-to if, if someone's listening to this going gosh i need to talk to a therapist i need to speak to someone obviously if they're in your state they should immediately go to room to thrive.com yeah, of course yeah um, but yeah. obviously i don't think you're licensed to practice outside of states that's how it I'm works not, in america yeah, is correct. it right yeah, so yeah, generally yeah. is is there a, a network that's actually helping people specifically um going through some sort of religious trauma or coming out yeah. of religion because obviously generally speaking it's not a good idea to go to um, a Christian therapist, I would argue, generally speaking, it's not fair on the therapist or the person to, to be talking yeah. about these kind of things with that. Sure, I, I, I think I think that really there are a lot of a lot of variables there. Um, but but in in general, when I think about you know what do I do I prioritize in terms of um, looking for a therapist, I would want to prioritize. Um, you know, a lot of skill working with trauma and in my own personal kind of um, bias and perspective is coming from a more embodied place. And so, you know, somatic experiencing and various forms of a more um, embodied approaches to trauma. I, I think there's just a lot of value in that. However, you know, um, other forms of you know, trauma treatment are effective. And so that was, that would kind of depend on, on the client, you know, what, what type of support they're looking for. Sure. And so, so, so that being like the most important thing to me, um, if, if you have, it's possible if you have a, uh, a Christian therapist who you feel safe enough with, again, this is whether or not a therapy is effective for survivors is, is, 
is you know primarily dependent upon that that therapeutic relationship and feeling safe right. in that, and and you're focusing a lot on the the somatic experience of trauma as opposed to the cognitive um, story of trauma. Right. Um, you could probably do some pretty effective work with um, a a Christian or a non-Christian therapist who has a um, is coming from an embodied perspective and, and understands trauma because the details of the the situation and the context and the experience are right. not as essential. You're not pushing them into their existential crisis. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so, so I would, I would kind of start there. Um, there is um, the, the reclamation collective is developing a directory for um, therapists who um, have some familiarity with religious trauma um, we're, we're partnering with them. And um, one of the projects that I'm working on with a, a graduate student at the moment, um, a practicum student who's doing a rotation with me, um, <clears throat> developing um, an online course platform, you know, live trainings, as well as um, recorded trainings that will provide uh, therapists who already have a, a working knowledge of trauma and experience and training working with trauma, giving them, you know, the extra yeah. um, kind of um, awareness and insight into the experience of religious trauma. And, and then that would, um, you know, um, when, when therapists are part of this, the reclamation collectives um, directory, clients can feel a bit more confident that they you know, they have, they, they at least understand yeah, and acknowledge absolutely. and validate religious trauma as an experience. And so, yeah, I think a lot of these things are, are very new. Um, you can on my on the resource page of my website. Um, I have several other trauma-based directories um, that people can look at. <clears throat> the Reclamation Collective's directory is there as well, um, and and then just you know kind of general psychology today, um, and and with the disclaimer that you know obviously there's no um, sure kind of <laughs> claim being made that these folks understand religious trauma, um, but then you know we're also creating resources as part of Religious Trauma Institute to. Um, for, for clients to give their therapist. Mm. I, I hear this all the time from, from clients saying, you know, I, I'm spending, you know, weeks and weeks and months and months sometimes educating my therapist about what it was like growing up inside of purity culture and fundamentalist kind of religious context so that they are able to help me more effectively. Right. And they're paying an hourly rate to do so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. And, and, and I think as a therapist myself, I'm like, yeah, I, 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 that's my work to do. I need to educate myself. And yeah. so, um, you know, we're, we're certainly creating resources to, to make that easier for, for therapists to get up to speed so they can be more effective um, with clients. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it's wonderful. Brian, I really, really appreciate mm -hmm. the work you do. Honestly, I think you're mm -hmm. so essential um, and, and what you and, and Laura are doing and, and, and this new initiative that you guys are kind of like yeah. undertaking is just so exciting. I, yeah. I've been to message you <clears throat> about, stuff because we're going to do a well one of the first studies of the two studies we're doing this year mm -hmm. is going to be a wellness study and we want to look at the wellness oh, of people correct. that are coming out of <clears throat> yeah. church deconstructing whatever yeah. and try and correlate like how yeah. what that looks like what's your wellness yeah. based on how can yeah. we can then map that based on how long you've been out of church because we all yeah. know that people's mm -hmm. wellness plummets when they leave church but that's a well-known statistic mm -hmm. um that's been again and again and again proved but yeah. I'm intrigued to see what does that look like if we map it with some other things of, yeah. you know, how uh, spiritually yes. mature and, and whatever else. Yeah. That and, might and, be. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, when I hear you say that, you know, I have a, a bit of a visceral response to that because I think that can be used against folks who are deconstructing. Mm -hmm. you know, Huge Church is essential for yeah. your well-being. And it's like, no, human connection is essential to your well-being. Yeah. And I yeah. think um, in the ex-church um, communities, we need to do better about creating safer yeah. spaces, which is obviously um, massively more difficult given that a lot of religious trauma happens in interpersonal and community yeah. spaces. 
uh, making it difficult to trust communities yeah. and connect outside of that. But um, and but yeah, personal intuition kind of, yeah. in the yes. church, we're mm-hmm. not aware yeah. of our trauma. We, we bury right. it. We we don't yeah. acknowledge our mental health issues. We don't acknowledge yeah. any of this stuff because we're told, no, you don't have that problem. You've yeah. got Jesus. And when you come yeah. out, you start introspecting and you go, holy mm-hmm. crap, there's loads of stuff here. That's not yeah. new, most of it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, the so, yeah, no, is new. Yeah, so sure. it'd be good to talk to you because I'd love to include some scales and metrics, yeah. maybe um, yeah. some sort of trauma skill in there would be yeah. fascinating. Yeah, and actually, that's one of the things we're working on as well within the group. And there are some spiritual abuse skills and additional kinds of spiritual struggle scales, which is a really fascinating mm-hmm. as it connects to um, psychological flexibility and so forth. Um, yeah, so I, I think- We should talk offline about this for sure. Yes, we're on- Because in any way yeah. I can help you, of course, because I've got yes. a group of 3,000 people that are keen to mm-hmm. do studies. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so um, that's, that's, of course, a, a resource that it would be great for you guys yeah, to, to tap sure. into, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, awesome. no, Brian, thank you. Thank you for your, your time, for your insight, for your wisdom, for the, mm-hmm. the, the compassion that you, you, uh, you give that insight, uh, in as well. It's, it's, it's profound and it is really mm-hmm. helpful. It blesses me so much. Very Christian oh. word there. Um, yeah. but, uh, thank, it really does. It really does, does mean a lot it. to me. And I certainly am encouraged to, to see the work that you're doing as well. And, yeah, it, it, it means a lot to see folks who are, are taking this seriously. It, it's a very mm-hmm. isolated and lonely kind of experience for folks to go through. And when it feels like, is this normal? Am I okay? Like, what what is, you know, what is this that I'm going through? And, and just to have yeah. some, you know, some, some data around that, some, you know, other people researching that is so, so yeah. important and valuable. We live in awesome. a good time, a good, good yeah, time. Yeah, we do. People, yeah. people can just Google and go, oh, this yeah. is what it is. Like, I would hate to have done this 40 yeah. years ago or something. Yeah. And so, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, sure. I love you, man. Awesome. I'll let you. I think yeah. this is going to come out tomorrow. I'm going to literally like boom, yeah, boom, sure. boom okay. out because awesome. I've, I've just not been on top of getting recorded. So you're, yeah. you're literally no the worries. next one I'm recording and I'm planning on releasing something tomorrow. So. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Uh, but All I'll, right. I'll Thanks, let you know. And, appreciate uh, it. Yeah. Great. All right. Love Sounds you, man. Good. Catch you right. later. Yeah. Take care. Peace. Peace. Bye-bye. Okay. So that was Brian Peck. I hope you enjoyed that. I love talking with Brian. It's always great fun to connect with him. Um, he's such a great person, such a lovely, wonderful human being. Um, always a privilege to connect with him and 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 dive into that incredible mind of his. Um, if you want to um, keep pulling from Brian, I really, really encourage you to check out his Instagram. He's on Facebook and Instagram as Room to Thrive. Uh, I follow him on Instagram and I love what he posts. I'm always uh, keeping an eye out for a new post from Brian because they really are fantastic um, resources and and, and really insightful uh, and educational as well. Um, and so do check out Room to Thrive. His website is roomtothrive.com as well. And of course, the Religious uh, Trauma Institute um, so you can find that at the religious trauma institute.com or on Facebook and Instagram as the religious trauma Institute so do check out Brian as I said at the beginning um, everything I do is absolutely free so if you would like to support what I'm doing um, and gain access to an amazing private discussion group and uh, monthly zoom calls and stuff with me and a bunch of other people that are deconstructing you can do so at patreon.com slash Phil Drysdale or phildrysdale.com slash partner. Um, and do check out the Deconstruction Network. Um, it's, it's such a great resource for people that are going through deconstruction. If that's you, I, I really encourage you, go sign up and see if there's anyone in your local area. You don't necessarily have to be alone in this journey. Um, if you are alone, if there isn't anyone in your local area, if you are needing someone to talk to, I'm always here. Shoot me a message on Instagram at 
anytime. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to help you on your journey. I really mean that. A lot of people message me going, oh, I wasn't sure if I could really message you. I really mean it. I'm here. I, I commit myself full time to doing this. And so I really mean I'm, I'm here to chat. If you need someone to talk to, send me a message. It's just Phil Drysdale on Instagram. Um, all right, that's enough for me. You'll see me next week. Um, we've got Rachel Alba, who is um, another return guest, uh, an amazing uh, sex therapist, and we are gonna be fielding a whole bunch of questions. So again, if you actually have questions for Rachel and that you'd like to hear addressed in this podcast, shoot me a DM on Instagram or shoot her a DM, and we'll try and talk about that in, in next week's episode. Um, all right, love you all. I really hope you're having a great week, a great time. Hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll see you next week. Peace.